Welcome to Cross of Gold, the podcast where two brothers, one a Christian in the political wilderness and the other a socialist in the spiritual wilderness, work to rediscover faith in each other, our communities, and the American experiment. We have begged and they have walked when our calamity came. We beg no longer, we defy them. You shall not press down upon the brow of labor this crown of thorns. Well, hello there, Chase, and uh, welcome back, everybody. Uh, We have a pretty exciting episode, I'm not going to lie. I've been uh, looking forward to this one for a while, looking forward to getting it out into all of your ears. Uh, But before we get into all that, obviously, I'm I'm Cyrus, your uh, socialist brother, with me, as always, is Chase, the Christian brother. Chase, how uh, have you been the last week or so? I'm doing well. In full disclosure, I've got Cato sitting on my lap, uh, newborn son for those new to the podcast. So uh, he might input in this combo. Man, I've been good, um, though. And you know what? Working part time on paternity leave. So you know how that goes. Um, but, you know, man, we're the local elections are heating up in North Texas. And, oh yeah, you, you mentioned a time or two, you've gone to some city council meetings or whatnot, any uh, developments on the mayoral race? Yeah. You know, since we've talked to Matt, I have, maybe it was, it was, it was a, a, certainly an encouragement to get a little bit more involved. Um, Samantha and I, my wife were walking the neighborhood with door hangers and mailers um, pro the mayor, you know what he's been doing 44 years, absolutely crushing it. And um, and supporting a particular city councilwoman. And so um, this will drop before the election. So, you know what? We support Mayor Tate and city councilwoman Sharon Rogers. And I could, you know, tell you why not the opponents, but they've been doing good public service for over 35 years. So, um, yeah, man. So, you know, being city council and doing it. all that, it feels like, man, much more productive expenditure of my energy than fretting about something stupid nationally. <laughs> Yeah, you can kind of see like in real time, you know, the the results of your labor uh, and of your effort. And good to know that, uh, you know, should push come to shove, you're in favor of a one party state. Um, so I'll uh, make sure to keep <laughs> yeah, that. In mind. Uh, well, uh, on the local level, maybe I'm not <laughs> um, opposed to term limits if they're, you know, great people and there's a rapid radical transparency. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think on the local level, there is more of an ability for there to be some sort of well, you know, on the local level, there's a lot more flexibility. You know, like um, I support Joel um, in Boston and he's a socialist. I'm certainly not a socialist. Right. Um, so I think you've got, you've got good ideas and love for your community and can be held accountable. Well, then a lot of things are, you know, I'd be willing to vote for someone I believed in and I knew was a better person that didn't have the exact same politics than someone who had my politics, but I thought was a bad character. Yeah, you know? no, I, I do. I definitely empathize with people who say like they don't want to give money to like the government, you know, like I don't want to give money to our government either. Now that the reasons for that are not because I don't want to give money, but for what exactly they spend it on and, and who's accountable for, you know, what they spend it on. And I think is, is a lot of people's problems with, you know, tax increases or whatever else. People want good roads and good schools, but they don't want money that's supposed to go to those things going somewhere where it's not supposed to go. So definitely see how on a local level easier to keep track of the mayor's pocketbook than, you know, maybe the, the CIA's. Uh, that, that, that's a fair assessment. So um, it's been going good. I, you know, and that's been fun. We've been, you know, I've got a, uh, 
a baby carrier on the chest. And so does Samantha. So we, you know, we, we go back and forth, but good to just kind of get out too. And, and we've been meeting a lot more neighbors because of that. And so, man, that's definitely a cool function of being involved locally that I didn't anticipate how many neighbors were just straight up meeting. We've been living in this neighborhood three years, like block parties, the whole thing, but that's just fun. Like, man, you know, like I'm not considering a lot of other options professionally because like we're starting to put roots down and dude, you and me grew up a little, and moved a couple times. And so it was always like, don't get too deep just because you might need to uproot. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, exactly. for us to put, be putting roots down feels kind of weird. Yeah, no, that is, that was definitely my experience growing up. I mean, we, we had friends and friend groups and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I think, unless you've really been a part of a community, which in some ways I have, some ways I haven't, but you, you really recognize like the benefits to it of having a neighbor, you can go over to their house and ask for a cup of sugar, you know, so to speak, but without being like, feeling like it's awkward or you're being an imposition or, or whatever else, it, it, you know, has some benefits, I think. Well, that all said, I don't want to uh, waste any more time getting into our interview. I'll just preface our guest with, the, the fact that, you know, he was a kind of a big part of the beginning of this podcast, definitely a significant contributor in ways, even though he didn't know it, uh, because during the summer, some of the things he was putting out and the talks he was he was giving uh, were sort of like a specter haunting, haunting our house, you know, in, in a way. I mean, it, it led to a lot of really deep conversations, which, you know, sort of morphed into what we're doing now. Yeah, there was a good half dozen post midnight vlog sessions between you, me and dad. I think our father who's makes a cameo in one of these episodes thinks this guy's half brilliant, half crazy. Cyrus, I think you're, you know, probably in the camp of this guy's brilliant. I think he's probably a little bit more crazy, certainly straight brilliant though. And you know, higher IQ than I have. So I really like him uh, for what he's done for, you know, for our dialogue and for his intention. I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for, I guess I'm learning more respect for socialists, um, especially getting, as I would consider, like gut punched after the, the Bernie campaign twice, and then getting back up humbly to say, no, you know what, We're, we are rededicated to the longer term mission of loving locally and, and going grassroots and really having that long term impact of change. Like, man, if you are a fan of grit and perseverance and authenticity, then, you know, I love talking to folks like that. So I really enjoyed this conversation. We'll let you have at it. Yeah, no, we get into lots of good stuff. It's a real mad scientist energy, uh, you know, but so it's a little bit of a scattered conversation, but we get into talk about religion, Christianity in general, the degree to which it can exist alongside capitalism, the need for spiritualism in our politics, spiritual deadening of society, all that good stuff. So without further ado, I'll introduce our guest. He is Matt Chrisman. He is uh, one of the co-hosts of the very popular leftist comedy podcast, Chapo Trap House. Also, in the last year or so, he's started a couple other projects, including uh, Time for My Stories, a podcast about uh, you know TV and, and sort of a TV criticism and culture show. And of course, the Kush Vlog series, um, which is his ruminations on spiritualism and politics in the uh, COVID and post-Bernie era. So all that said, uh, let's get into it. I'm stoked. We've got what I might consider one of the Mac Daddies of leftism 
um, on the podcast today. So if there are any Christian that didn't really get the, the warning shot in our intro, um, Matt knows what he's talking about. And so we're going to dive in. Matt, how you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Thanks for coming. Well, Matt, we'd love to take a step back and maybe take a step deep internal and understand a little bit more about, man, how you, how you've, how you are, where you're at now and um, look at internal, understand your background a little bit. Yeah. So more or less, Matt, how did, how did this Matt Chrisman that, especially the one that's, you know, after the uh, bulk of the COVID uh, pandemic has happened, uh, how did we, how did we get here as someone who's become sort of a ideological voice on the left um, and sort of has a spiritual message as well? Well, uh, I had reached a, a kind of a terminal point with politics as, uh, as a uh, identity. You know, I, I, I did the show for four years uh, during Trump and, and uh, I was able to get, you know, a, a sense of satisfaction out of doing the show related to my belief that I was part of some political project. Uh, I mean, that was something that I had initially said was impossible, but by the time that the Bernie Sanders campaign really, the second one really uh, wound up into action, it felt like I could in fact be a someone who, you know, was part of a political moment that was going to actually uh, see some sort of progress, material progress for Americans, which uh, for the first time in my life, which I was very excited to be part of, but then the whole thing uh, fell apart, uh, COVID uh, hit, and I was left sort of uh, at a crossroads uh, and having to answer myself, well, okay, if this, is, if this thing I wanted to happen isn't going to happen, and, and my role in the, in, in the uh, media ecosystem can't be productive in the way that I thought it was going to be, if the show really is, as I had originally thought, uh, entertainment, then what was I going to say? How was I going to respond to that? Uh, and the thought of reinvesting uh, in politics as a uh, spectacle, again, felt fraudulent. It felt like we'd sort of seen the reality that that wasn't the case, that, that, uh, that there was no way to engage in this stuff uh, uh, the way we had and have it mean anything because all of these arguments, all of these uh, political discussions and these issues were being we were all dealing with from outside because nobody has any conception of power. No, nobody has any way of imagining themselves gaining power. So it all sort of just dissolves into entertainment. Uh, and so I was left to ask myself, well, what do I, what do I want to get across? That's something more than entertainment. And I had this, this religious experience where I was for the first time in my life, I felt something uh, that was uh, transcendent of me as a person, which uh, I had always felt was beyond my uh, ability to ever have. I, I really did sort of view religion as, as a physical faculty, which I was incapable of uh, accessing. Uh, and then I, I did access it. And one of the big results of that, one of the big uh, consequences of that was that it made me hyper aware of the deficiency of 
the way I was engaging with politics, the way I was engaging with uh, uh, understanding politics, it, it, it made me aware of the missing dimension, uh, which is which is of of uh, not necessarily religious faith, but of some transcendent spiritual uh, understanding that must undergird politics if it is going to cut through this paralyzing morass that we're stuck in because uh, I was realizing that the, 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 my, uh, the, the trap that I felt I was in was caused by the fact that I could not really reason beyond self-interest, beyond a very narrow self-interest. And I realized that if you approach politics in that way, then you will never be motivated to do anything other than the most uh, narrowly uh, distracting thing, which is to engage with it as, uh, as a spectacle. Uh, and that you will invent reasons to care about inconsequential things to give you an excuse to continue entertaining yourself because the, the self-interested move in this moment, I think, considering how, how bereft of real political mobilization there is, we are, how bereft of, of political alternatives we are, uh, would be to just ignore politics and try to enjoy ourselves. Uh, if we're going to take politics seriously, uh, we have to take seriously our uh, limitations and then start from that premise not from the premise of what can I do that will be uh, effective, but what can I do that will be meaningful to me? And uh, I've been trying to articulate piece by piece as I've sort of struggled with it, a uh, understanding of politics that takes for uh, granted the reality of, um, of, a, of spirituality and the need to integrate it into politics for politics to be able to break out of the uh, frozen uh, uh, dynamic it's currently in. So there's a lot there. I just want to make sure I understand some of the things that you said. Um, one thing I latched on to Matt was you're hyper aware of a deficiency. Um, and what you just said there was maybe a spiritual motor or something pushing, driving people beyond their self-interest into politics. Is that sort of right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I think, you know, part of the reason why your the Kush vlog, you know, took off, at least from my perspective as a viewer during those early times, is after the Bernie movement had, you know, fully croaked um, and it became aware that that was a non-starter, uh, like I, I had reasoned my way out of religion um, when I was, you know, in college, like a lot of college-age people do and reasoned my way into Marxism um, or, you know, the general idea of socialism. Um, but after the Bernie movement died, I realized there was nothing really undergirding that belief. Um, and when things looked pretty bleak there after, you know, the Bernie campaign died, there was, I, I wasn't sure what, you know, as, as you said, I wasn't sure what to do. It seemed like the only thing I could do was retreat inwards or find something else. But then, it was just raised the possibility to me that like spirituality might actually, you know, be a solution, um, a motivating factor or, or more specifically, I feel like, cause at the time I was 
reading more Kierkegaard again, kind of rereading it to get back to my bases and just the idea of faith um, and, and the, the idea, the power of faith for political movements. So well, go ahead, Chase. Sorry, man. Yeah, I don't, I don't mean to cut you just because faith's a really interesting, you bring it up, especially with the word spiritual coming around and Matt, I want to ask, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like when you say spiritual, um, what do you mean? Is it a much more intimate, uh, above physical paranormal, like a connection with our brothers and sisters? Is it, um, a connection with, with, with the divine, you know, what can you speak more to that? I would say that in the term, in, in the specific political context, I would say that it means to have as your base motivation, not just a dry rational, uh, uh, analysis of like political economy that pulls you in the, it that draw, makes you draw the conclusion that socialism is the is the correct mode of uh, of social organization but also a felt connection to uh, other people that compels your action in a political direction Okay. So yeah, you said basically rational argument to understand that this is going to lead to better outcomes through, you know, certain methodologies and a felt, Hey, listen, I, I have some sort of empathetic love for my neighbors. Therefore I'm willing to do what I wouldn't normally be willing to do in my own self-interest. Yeah. Precisely. Okay. I, in I appreciate what ways was, is that like limited to the political sphere and like what, why, why can we not just adopt some, you know, other form of religious modes as our vehicle for, you know, getting to that sense? Because I, I think at this point, they're too captured. The categories, these, the terms, the categories, the, the emotive uh, appeals, they are, they are uh, processed by people through this lens of identity that is yeah. part of the, uh, the general cultural uh, uh, context that we're, we operate in where we are seeking identity uh, through, you know, not even really our culture or, or our, our daily in engagements, but our, our, our life plus our engagement with the world, like in its mediated state. And when we're doing that, we're encountering ideas and notions that are uh, already kind of pre-siloed uh, into uh, positivity or negativity. Like, like Christianity, for example, that is a concept that that already means things to people, uh, uh, both good and bad, and that those meanings are uh, are pretty much bereft of any uh, like descriptive power. They're not really about what it is to be a Christian. They're about what it means to be perceived as one. And I just think that because of that. Re reality, the reality of, of, of religion as identity, it's difficult to use it as a, uh, a, a framework that could bring people together because it is one of the key things, I think, that, that instinctively draws people apart. Matt, um, I love this in your, what you're saying. I have a two-part question here. Throw one out or... <laughs> tell the you know or answer both i guess so i'm wondering if if you think there's any danger here of putting the cart before the horse or finding spiritual uh, motivation which could be good or really bad depending on the nature of the power source 
for political means. And I'm not saying like, oh, you're a socialist and you're trying to do that. I'm saying anybody, whether it's, you know, some pastor who thinks capitalism is the system of the Bible and is using that spiritual base of people and of God and motivating them in a political direction. So I guess my first question is like, is, is there a danger there or you think it is good? And, and, um, and two, it's, 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 it's a second part question because um, are you, are you at any point? Cause if the, the brief description of what you said is almost sounds like you had a, maybe a Socratic moment at some point or a series of points throughout the um, of, of, of COVID where you're like, Hey, listen, I've, I've had an awareness that there's something else going on here. And you might be willing to tap into like the form of goods or something like the by the sun, I see all things else. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, I guess. I, uh, I mean, I, for me, it's difficult because I'm, I'm trying to communicate to people with words, a thing that is ineffable. And uh, my challenge to myself has been to, to find different descriptive categories, different historical analogies, different uh, metaphors to communicate just the, the existence of this terrain uh, so that people, if they hear me talk about it, uh, could find it more, uh, could be more open to it. I've realized that all I could really do because I'm not an expert on anything. I don't really have a deep ability, a, a, a deep well of knowledge for anything. I am, as a podcaster, I'm a professional dilettante. My job is to know a little bit about stuff so that I can make good conversation for people while they're uh, doing the dishes or waiting for in the doctor's office. I mean, I know that that's, that's the whole job. It's, and, and as a result, I, I don't want to uh, try to overstep my competency. And I've realized right. that since the since the failure of the Bernie campaign, the question of uh, what is to be done, which people really want an answer to, uh, I realize that I am singularly unqualified to answer, uh, and so I've had to ask myself, well, what what can I provide? What what answer can I give? And it really does boil down to uh, just that people need to be open, that people need to uh, step back as much as they can from the the tunnels of reality that they have dug in the, specifically in the virtual world, uh, which uh, has, I think, entrapped a lot of people uh, and made them feel that the world is much more hopeless and, and flat than it really is because they, like I know I did, have taken for granted the, uh, the flatly described world that we uh, access uh, uh, online, where we are living in, a, in pure mind space without the engagement with the world that generates real uh, emotional response, which can transcend uh, uh, the, the structures of thought that we think constrain us and break open reality. And so all I've really, I've, what I've been focusing on is trying to find different ways to keep people entertained, but also uh, to the extent I can, aware of that other register and to hopefully help people be uh, more, more aware, more cognizant in their lives so that when uh, something happens that maybe they otherwise would have 
discounted or ignored or been on their phone instead of being present for, they uh, they find that it, it sets off something within them that they can follow uh, on their own because beyond that step, you know, it's all deeply personalized. Cyrus, you're probably chomping in the bit. Can I ask him one more question on that topic? Because he's talking like, spiritual deadening of society right now, which I, I, I want to, we, you know, we've been sharpening our axe on that. Do you mind if I ask one more? Go out, get after it, man. Cool. Yeah, Matt, um, you brought up Christianity and I have a huge vested stake. Like I'm dedicated my life to trying to emulate myself after Jesus. And I think there's, it makes a lot of logical sense not to use any current pre-established certainly symbols uh, like religion or Jesus with baggage um, that mean certain things to people. But I want you to be successful, particularly in like, if it means loving people more. And I feel in, in many ways I've found in myself and, and the Lord's leading me through that Jesus was a radical. Now Christianity is an established religion can be taken over by men and women, but I guess I almost reclaiming, you know, pointing people to Jesus, I guess, I guess, because I believe he's God and everything he did is what God would have done. And I know that's a pretty wild belief, but like, I would almost think you've got a lot of runway with people, particularly Christians who should be in favor of some things that my brother and you are fit or for, um, because I think Jesus would have been, you know what I mean? I, I just, have you thought through like, is, is, is pushing Jesus, and exploring him uh, for people worthwhile, or is it just too much baggage? Yeah, it's it wouldn't be true to me. Is the thing like it, it, I, I'm trying not to do anything that isn't uh, my own understanding, and and I, I I have like if I talk about you know Christianity in like an abstract sense, I could definitely talk myself into being a Christian for the period of time that I'm discussing it because uh, the, the, it's. Uh, you know the, the the metaphor and the and the structure of it really do speak to uh, like significant important conditions of uh, of modernity. Like I think the the notion of a uh, of a redeeming uh, savior who can allow us to forgive ourselves and therefore forgive others is uh, incredibly important, considering how people have are finding themselves in lives totally. Uh, bereft of spirituality and have to look around them at all of the the wreckage that they have created without even knowing what they were doing and all the pain that they have caused themselves and others and that pain that distance that separation it has to be uh, transcended somehow and I think Jesus is a is a very powerful uh, idea to do that uh, but uh, for me I just know personally that the shape, the specific symbolic shape of one's relationship to God is, uh, is defined by things beyond those categories. It's defined by uh, a, a, all of your encounters, I think, with different symbolic orders throughout your life. And for me right now, I, I, could, I can't really say that I am a Christian in, in in the sense that I could uh, convey it, like un, uh, I could convey it as a prescription. Uh, and beyond that, I also feel like I can't really provide anything prescriptively because I'm talking to people 
honestly, many of whom are so far from a, any kind of metaphysical understanding of the world that Christianity, honestly, would be a alienating uh, thing for me to bring up for the majority of them. Uh, because of where, of what secular Americans, who I am and many of them are, have come to, uh, how they have come to relate to that concept growing up in the United States, where Christianity is really a byword for a lot of, uh, a lot of horrible reactionary things that people don't want to associate with. Yeah, I think that's, that's really interesting, Matt, just the, the idea of kind of going back to the, the, I guess, ego and individualism in this country and um, how our, if our actions are purely motivated by our own self-interest, um, you know, we're, we're never really going to uh, reach that level of, of transcendence. Um, and to me, I'm, I'm struck at by Christians in, in the United States, um, kind of something we've, I've been tossing around the last couple of weeks uh, of this idea that it's, it's really an ego thing that has prevented them from recognizing their, uh, their, the, the, the divide between what they do and their practice and what, you know, Jesus would have wanted. So, you know, so, so to speak, uh, sorry, I'm stomping all over you, bro, but no, just because I, I love your ego, but Matt has said it and you've said it before. I would throw in idol worship like one of the things that I hate in myself when it is discovered and it's something that zaps my freaking joy, peace, and love is when I'm worshiping some sort of idol, I'm getting identity or meaning or deep sense of satisfaction from something that's not God. And I think that, that, that certainly contributes to uh, maybe. But Matt, I, yeah. Of- I think that's the same. That's the same thing as this, this focus on the individualism and on the individual ego, but because if, if you're worshiping something that you have chosen and you have given special significance, then, you know, that, uh, that is really a reflection of your ability, your good taste, you know, for, for lack of a better term, but how, how do Christians, um, is there a way to be Christian in America and have that be compatible with the values that, you know, are supposedly espoused? Interesting question. Yeah, Matt, I, yeah, I even made a sharpen that point. Um, cause can a Christian be a Christian just from your, you know, your understandings in this capitalist society and in, with our current impulses? I think that they can, it's just, it's difficult. It's, it's, it's difficult to, to, uh, sustain that belief. It's difficult to cultivate it in the first place. I mean, I honestly feel like a lot of Christians in this country, people who, people who have grown up thinking themselves Christian are bereft of the actual consolations of Christianity because, what they actually learned isn't actually isn't really religious. Uh, it's a cult of, uh, of of indulgence and consumption and ego, and they and they don't even have the option of Christianity because they think they're Christians already. Uh, and it's a scary trap. Yeah, it is. And uh, but I feel like as long as the sentiment is there, as long as we have the feeling, as long as we are humans, as long as we have the feeling of connection that persists, that's always there, that's often grounded out, that is often overwhelmed by our, uh, by our illusions of self and, and, and separateness and ego. Uh, as long as that feeling is there, we're going to want to articulate it to ourselves in a way that lets us live with it instead of ignore it. 
And the, the language we're going to use is going to correspond to uh, the lives we've lived. So I think that Christianity is, is a live concept uh, for people who are in that situation of, of having that sensation, of having that feeling, and wanting to put a word to it, wanting to put symbols to it, and, and wanting to live uh, according to that feeling uh, and not uh, uh, allowing it to sort of be left by the wayside while we make do with uh, sort of a hedonic pursuit of selfishness. I guess just planning it for a seat of future consideration, like, um, and I don't want to, unless the issues that I've been changing and how that's been driving my actions, shocks, maybe even my career choice coming up. But if someone makes a, a case for, you know, would Jesus have done that? Does the Jesus, the Holy Spirit in you leading you to that? Or is there, are you doing things for your own culture, for your own identity? When someone presents that, like you are pulling my gut in a direction where I've got to really consider, like, you know, we had a conversation last week with a, a socialist candidate in, in Boston and he made a strong case while I, I'm paraphrasing. He didn't exactly say this. This is sort of how I received it. There's a bit better biblical mandate um, to unequally love the oppressed and the homeless. And therefore, why am I not out of my mind loving the oppressed and, and, um, and the unhoused? And so I guess I'm just saying I've within me experienced a huge pull to some policies I wouldn't have thought I could ever support just because I'm seeing Jesus sort of lead the way. And I feel like in, in, in general too, like, I don't, I don't want to be too uh, picking on Christians because I feel like the way you described, uh, you know, the, the shortcomings of the, or the trap that a lot of American Christians fall into. I, I look around at socialists and I'm not excluding myself from this at all. Um, but I think we, we have a similar trap in that once you've taken up the mantle of being a socialist, uh, then at that point it becomes a lot easier to you know just do, just do the window dressing of it um and and not do the actual hard work that that it takes to 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 do that so the your solution to that then is is generally like it has to find some motivation outside of of reason yes yeah you, there has to be something beyond reason like that's the fundamental uh fact of politics that we, that we don't have a vocabulary to address and, and that we often want to try to avoid because it seems too much of a challenge because how do you communicate this idea that is so personalized, uh, especially when the language of religion is so sectarian and so charged with identity uh, that it gets left off. And, and I'm, I'm just trying to struggle my way to a, a way to talk about it consistently uh, where its presence can be suggested uh, and then that suggestion hopefully can carry on in people to allow them to, you know, maybe hear at a different frequency uh, when, they're, when they're going about their lives. Maybe one of the last questions on this topic, Matt, um, is it possible, whether it's in your frame of belief or whatever, that the spiritualness like you, we can encourage, I've heard you say in previous podcasts, it is tough to articulate that we need more shared spiritual experiences to form a, a, a shared common language so that we can mutually reference these things to propel ourselves and others beyond self-interest sort of. Right. And that makes a lot of sense. 
especially if spiritual is real horizontal connection with our brothers and sisters, is there a way in which, and I guess what I'm sharing is I feel like I've had experiences with vertically as an individual with God and everyone else who's had those um, has those same sort of uh, experiences. And so you can sort of see my worldview uh, taking shape maybe of like, why aren't we, um, there's a lot of untapped potential encouraging Christians to dig deep and, and find out where Jesus is leading them. And that would be for a lot, be- that would be a lot better for a lot more people. Chase, I agree. Us. And I, I think that there are Christians who are doing that. I mean, I, I and I think that you're seeing it uh, as the insufficiency of, of our categories becomes more and more clear that people who need to live their values are, are having to, to ask what those are. And I feel that there are people in, in with that re- relationship and who have that vocabulary and who have had that experience who can uh, communicate uh, across that. And, and I'm glad that they are. Uh, and I think that it's going to take a lot of people making uh, appeals uh, to move the needle in any sense. I mean, all hands on deck. Uh, and I think that, uh, that desire to see some sort of, you know, uh, change reflected in the world, a positive one uh, that, uh, that is in keeping with our values and our, our, our that felt love that we want to express uh, is going to bring together a bunch of people who would otherwise be in conflict because the deeper uh, agenda can be shared uh, because everyone will be coming at it from that perspective of uh, emotional attachment that will allow them to uh, negotiate across like the chasms of, of culture and uh, identity in good faith because they will not constantly be questioning one another uh, and, uh, and subconsciously advancing uh, their own baser self-interest that they have confused with uh, the greater good. Oh, well, those uh, Marvel movies can't be that shared story. That uh, yeah, I, you know, unfortunately, that's not our mythology. I don't think, so. think that'll do it. <laughs> if, yeah, if you don't know, Matt's also a, a TV movie critic on the side, and um, similarly frustrated with culture, I guess, in my own different ways. And Matt, that's probably you know using Marvel as a, as a pivot point. Maybe you can help some of our Christian listeners understand folks that are um, that, that are waffling. Uh, you know what? The, you've talked a lot about the spiritual deadening of our just our culture and uh, what you've observed in the last our generations in America, um, and you've you tied that to, to technology. Can you maybe elaborate on that? Particularly, are there any false prophets out there? And I use that word pretty significantly. That you think that um, are leading folks astray, and and, and why? Um, shit. I mean, like. It seems like everything is. I mean, the society, all culture is is uh, is uh, organized to select for uh, frauds and and con artists at every level because that's what the economy is based on. It's it's a series of Ponzi schemes, uh, and in the uh, realm of politics and in the realm of culture, the uh, the advantage is to the cynic, is to the person who can identify a, a market and then pander to it because uh, there is no real percentage in, addre- in, in presenting challenges to, to people. 
there is only uh, an advantage in finding a, a coherent group, uh, uh, identifying what they already want to hear, and then giving them that. Mm. And as and and people will think that they are being fulfilled and challenged uh, all the while that they've they've secretly been just looking into this mirror that can only reflect back all of their own inadequacies and uh, failures of uh, of uh, empathy and and just uh, failures of logic because uh, it, in a consumer matrix. Uh, nobody wants to be challenged. People want to be affirmed. And uh, I feel so, like, you know, every, every generation's uh, president, I guess, you know, there, there's a slightly different tone to the, to the entertainment. What do you, uh, do you have any, I know you don't like to make predictions, but do you have any guesses as to what the Biden era of cultural uh, production is going to look like? Uh Felix and I have, have talked about this a lot. We, we kind of think that there's going to be a, uh, a return a little bit to like the Obama era uh, and uh, the sort of a less uh, frenzied cultural moment and a more sort of uh, a less politicized cultural moment, I guess, just people wanting big, dumb entertainments uh, and not fighting so hard to find political meaning in them because I feel like Trump really was the, the uh, fire underneath the, the machinery, uh, keeping that, that piston going. Well, there were uh, a lot people of people out emotionally. Politics. People, so, because, you know, the, the reality of Trump as president just created this, this cultural conflict because he was up there stoking it at every moment that, that needed to be expressed through uh, uh, consumption through our media. And now with uh, the president actively trying to like suppress that, uh, I think that the media will maybe take kind of a, uh, a cue from that and pull back a little bit, but we'll see. Yeah, Trump was like a cultural black hole. Just yeah. every single thing that was produced was sucked into its its vortex. Yeah. Well, you know, and Matt and mentioned also lack of empathy and things. And this is one that I've just considered a bit of an oddity. Uh, Matt, I've had a dozen different friends or, you know, whomever's um, sending me things from like Matt Walsh or Ben Shapiro, as I'm sort of discussing these things with Cyrus. And it sounds a bit a lot, you know, like what you had just said, certainly one of the things that has, I, I guess, bothered me, um, because I think you were also saying, we're trying to create meaningful, constructive dialogue for the benefit of multiple people, not just trying to dissect and destroy. And, um, and, and, and unfortunately for a lot of the folks who have, I've maybe once looked to for some good logic um, are doing that in a destructive, dumb way. Um, yeah. I mean, you can see the people who are just interested in, 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 in the fight, in continuing the, the, uh, the conflict in a completely sterile way. Like, uh, it, I think it's very difficult to honestly look at the political uh, arena and the, the cultural realm that people are fighting in and see any chance of productive uh, movement there. Uh, I think you have to, at a certain level, if you're engaging in it, uh, you're, you're operating in a bad faith. You're operating out of a desire to 
maintain your position rather than to see anything happen, even your own stated political views. Matt, it just freaking burns me when a pastor gets on Fox and says the devil's running his agenda through the left side of the country, which one is without context two without, you know, love for the people that it might help. But three, it presupposes that we have to agree politically to um, figure out this Jesus character. And so I guess Cyrus and I are both interested for our own, you know, groups and our missions that we believe in how to engage more people and how to reach out. And that's why I think we've been looking for common ground in our beliefs and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, we uh, were able to do this show generally because I don't think I would have been able to do this dynamic with anyone other than my actual brother. Um, and I'm late a lot. Why we wait? Yeah. (laughs) They they (laughs) wait on me. Um, Um, I heard you say, sorry, sorry. I've just heard him say that avoiding, like some practical steps, because one of the things I, I need that I take forward and I want to encourage Cyrus and myself in is practical things that will help me do this better and encourage my neighbors, and my friends to do it better. One thing I've kind of heard you say between the lines is avoid echo chambers. They will not help you. They'll harm you. Is that right? And is there any others? No, that's definitely true. I mean, I, I'd say that that the way to us understand political uh, uh, political argumentative spaces, like social media, for example, the main one I'm familiar with, is not as places to build community, not as places to uh, understand the world and uh, what to do in it, so much as places to uh, entertain yourself. And I don't think that there's anything wrong or sinful about that. This world, you know, it's hard. People need releases. But uh, I think that you have to keep in mind that if you do feel a call to make the world better in some way, if you do feel uh, it is incumbent upon you to to express your solidarity with humanity politically, that that is going to have to, the real challenge of that is going to have to happen uh, in your day-to-day life. And as, as much as that might seem very uh, intimidating and in fact hopeless, uh, I, w- I would say that, that that sense of hopelessness is generated more than anything else by that lack of uh, faith in other people and in your capacity to feel uh, other people and to feel a motive force beyond uh, what you have sort of come to, to take for granted uh, within yourself. That's an interesting concept, faith in others. Uh, certainly I have faith in God and that propels me to love him and do things for him. But when you're loving people, I guess I've, I've, I've overlooked this idea that you've got to have faith in them, whether they uh, appreciate it, whether it resonates at the time or not, that you know they'll do good with whatever love you gave. And that's yeah. up to them, whether they do good or not. It, your, your, your part is done. The loving is on you. The faithfully receiving is on them. Right. Yeah, exactly. But I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that having faith in other people is having faith in God uh, to, to a certain extent. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, while the, the faith is both good, I mean, I think there's one in which, you know, I, I don't want to base my identity around helping others and having faith in others because others will disappoint, lead me, leading me to an existential crisis, whereas, you know, I've, I have a, a foundation on the other side. Yeah, but the only reason that God doesn't ever disappoint you is because you have faith that it's all part of 
a grander plan. Am I, Ooh, am I wrong yeah. in that? Great, Matt. Super interested to hear your perspective. If is there any sort of behind the scenes, you know, thoughts on one um, fate versus free will, because you've said a lot of this is like we've been born into it without selection or, you know, consent. And then, you know, Osiris is right. I do have faith that, you know, there's, there's storing up of treasure in heaven and that's a self-interest. Like even Jesus for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. So he was doing it out of a, a glorified self-interest, right? Doing it for a greater joy. And so I'm compelled. I, I've, I've told my boss at an investment bank that I love him when I got drastically less bonus than I expected, because you know what, we're supposed to not store treasure on earth where rust and moss destroy. Um, so I've ranted, Cyrus, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> that, that being said, Matt, um, I think what Chase is driving at is, uh, in terms of this, this conversation oh, yeah. of fate, ver- sorry. Oh sorry. yeah. Fate versus free will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fate fate versus fate, free yeah. Will. Matt, fate versus free will. And you know what? Like has the afterlife been, and I'm not talking about the opiate of the masses. I'm talking like a genuine faith in a self-interest beyond this life as a potential base of motivation for people to transcend their own self-interest. I mean, that, that, I, I think it all comes down to the, the form of the, for, the metaphorical and symbolic form that your, your recognition, your emotional recognition of your place in the universe uh, manifests. And for me, like I would have never been a religious person. Like I, I and as I said, I, I thought that religion was uh, just a, a faculty that I didn't have. And so I, process the world through a, what I thought was a rational filter through a pure observation of the world as it existed. And it was by really taking that, uh, that uh, attitude to its like farthest extent, like pushing beyond the world as it presented itself, that I was able to sort of come into awareness of the the undeniable reality of unity of 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 oneness as the soul uh real the soul substance of the universe and and that there was in fact no uh separation between uh me and the universe beyond my uh illusory self and that uh transcending that separation that's built up my entire life as I have operated on these false premise of separateness. Uh, I am now trying to uh, articulate to myself uh, a moment by moment awareness of the universe that puts me in a, con- in, in, in a fixed uh, context of, 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 of unity or of the capacity for unity. And that means recognizing uh, other people as 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 my brothers and sisters in in a way that is it is uh, that transcends mere you know species awareness. But like for me, all of this stuff is bound up in ideas and concepts that I've had in my head my whole life, and so and so are what I uh, end up relying on because you know it's it's it, these it is the vocabulary of my experience, and so. I have my own internal like metaphysical understanding that uh, that I operate moment by moment from. Uh, and it is, it's not 
I, I, I right now anyway, and that'll change with time probably. It's just it's too abstract and and uh, idiosyncratic, I guess, to imagine being something I could export to other people because it's barely enough for me to translate it to myself, to translate the sensation into words for myself and into symbols for myself. It seems like it'd be, I mean, I mean I'm still struggling with even that, let alone how to communicate it to others. Uh, I do think though that uh, on the question of free will that we are in every moment driven in a direction by forces beyond our control stretching back to the dawn of time that fix us in, in, a, in a position, but that because we are operating from that uh, emotional engine uh, that is beyond our, uh, our consciousness, that the possibility in every moment exists for us to go off the rails to jump into what is in a real respect, another reality with different rules and with different uh, presiding uh, motivations. Well, Matt, don't be so hard on yourself in the sense, just the Jesus that I read in the Bible um, preaches that you cannot communicate something divine or, or uh, God-like without God's help. And you certainly can't get people to accept it um, internally without an act of God himself. And so, um, yeah, just to kind of circle back to something you were talking about, Chase, in terms of the uh, self-interest that, you know, is heaven, um, you know, in, in the Christian sense and, and to the idea of, of the ego and, and that being the obstacle to us recognizing the connection we have to each other, the unity as, as Matt was talking about, and that to me, the idea of an afterlife or heaven or a reward at the end is if you fully internalize that belief to a certain extent, which I'm not saying I have by any stretch of the imagination, but it's the reason I feel like I want to work towards it is because the reward for that is the uh, full dissolution of the ego at the end of, of your life and the reunion with the body, so to speak, the full reunion. Yes. Yeah, and I, and that I think is open to all of us, and that is a that is a a, a self interested benefit. Like that is a, a a that's what that is good for you. But but the reason you're able to uh, experience it is because you have spent your life uh, essentially offloading that ego, which is at a cost. You know that is that is painful and threatening. I know that my ego is constantly fighting to reassert itself uh, and that it does, it does perceive like my body uh, is kind of wired at this point to perceive my feeling of like religious uh, transcendence as uh, the imminent demise of my body, because I am so, you know, uh, defensive at a base level of this ego that I have accumulated and which is the sole arbiter of you know good and bad and and uh, and pleasure and pain that I've ever known, and so you know yes there is a there is a self interest uh, in seeking you know a a a, uh, a peace a transcendent reunion, but it is 
still a challenge and it, and it still creates conflict with your narrower self-interest, which uh, I think is what prevents it from uh, just becoming another form of selfishness. I love you both. Our producer, Alex, too. It just, uh, it seems that so much of what Christianity preaches, I mean, there's a reason the early church was, you know, sharing all things in, in common, you know, under no compulsion, mind you. But like, I feel like whether it be the afterlife and the transcendent reality of reunion with God, and I would also believe fulfillment of our individualism. So I think there's both going on there. Um, it just seems like that is the, that's the eternal power source you guys are looking for, for this, for the to society we all want. You know, I, maybe I won't stop beating the drum and I'm limited by that, but. Well, I mean, I think that as you know, we've had conversations about this before. I think anyone who feels very compelled spiritually by the religious faith that they adhere to would say the exact same thing, which is why, you know, I'm, I'm definitely more on the, on the side of Matt on that one in the sense of it has to be true for you. And while I do acknowledge the possibility of capital T true things in the universe um, in our own, our own personal experiences are so narrow and so fixed um, by the, the social environs that we, we find ourselves in that. I don't know. I, I just like, I don't ever see myself well, being convinced into Christianity by that, by like logic like that. You know? Matt, two part question there, because it seems that you had, if I understand your experiences, right. A, a metaphysical unexplainable, Hey, I knew I know something now that I didn't know, and now I know it, and I can't even deny it. So, sort of like Socrates, like I'd go to death, not denying that. And it, you know, so it, so is that? So, number first question is: Is that possible? Like the objective T truth in that experience? And two, you know, what would it what would it take? I've asked Cyrus this question maybe maybe Cyrus before months before we started this whole podcast thing, and I don't know if you gave, gave me a good answer, like which was. What would it take for you to believe? Um, so, Matt, two-part question. Uh, what would it take to believe? I, I mean, I think I do believe. I just don't. I, I the form of what I believe is is shaped by uh, by my reality at the moment. I mean, I'm not ruling out that at some point in my life I'm going to believe in, you know, Christianity the same way that you do, uh, but uh it's not happened at the moment uh because it's not something that can be uh it can it cannot be uh reasoned into being it has to be felt uh Which and I, I mean my, my my main thing is that i don't believe there's anything outside of the universe i i believe that the universe is contains everything and that, that is, and that we are all part of a, a greater organism and that we are in fact the consciousness of it. Uh, and, and, and I think that people who are Christians are expressing their understanding of that reality the same way that I am, uh, that I am, but using the tools of their lives to make sense of it. Yeah, I showed this verse to you earlier, Chase, just because I think it's it's appropriate. But, you know, the uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, for just the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body. So it is with Christ, Um, which I think pretty, pretty conclusively spells out that that Christ 
Uh, and listen, I don't mean to say pretty conclusively spells out because I'm not not in that milieu. But to me, what I read there is is the same thing that you know Matt's articulating. I'll chop that up with you in the outro. Yeah, no, I think there's you know, <laughs> eyes and feet are different, hence individuality. Um, no, but I, I, that's one thing that I think I've, I've pieced together a little bit, Matt. And correct me if I'm wrong. Um, just the the base understanding is that um, one uh, creative work of God or one human does not have more inherent value than another. And so at a, at a very base level, then all humans have equal worth and therefore deserve equal opportunity. And that's not what you see going on. So from a very spiritual sense, if you buy into anything I just said, you should be having some sort of reaction and love and empathy for um, your neighbors, brothers and sisters, fellow humans. Yes, absolutely. And, and that capitalism, as, as we experience it, uh, is, is designed and predicated on us acting selfishly, on us acting as though we do not have any obligation to one another. That is, that is, its, that is its motive engine, is uh, in the face of, uh, uh, how, of the question of how to organize uh, productive economic activity in the world, how do you motivate people to, to make things and to produce things to sustain a social order? The answer is through, uh, through appeals to self-interest, but self-interest narrowly defined and frankly defined uh, by the system itself. Which Matt, is literally building up treasures on earth. Yes. It is the, the system defines as self-interest. Yeah. Matt, and, and we're probably at time here. So I just have a question that Cyrus and I haven't been able to make heads or tails of, and I think you'd be a really good person to answer it. Um, but I want to be respectful with your time. Is it, is that okay? Yeah, sure. So Cyrus has mentioned a few times to the chagrin of some of the Christians who listen, a, a, an elevation of human consciousness is required for a fuller, broader, more humane adoption of like some socioeconomic system. And I, first I ask, is that true? Do we need to elevate our human conscious? And two, is it possible if it is true? I think that uh, it's definitely necessary and also possible. And I would say that the uh, proof that it's possible is the fact that it's already occurred throughout human history. We have a, we have a more expansive uh, imaginative understanding of what it means to be human than we ever have. I think that 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 we truly have, thanks to you know the 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 creation of a a global market, we have also at the same time uh, and part of the same dialectical process created a global conception of humanity that uh, never really existed before, and that it is on the it's the and that that conception of humanity will be the basis for any social order that, pre that uh, privileges human flourishing over individual acquisition. Uh, and, and that was built through the process of, of humanity uh, uh, coming into awareness of itself through uh, uh, increased uh, intercourse over time and space and technology, all of the things that have pulled us together or all the things that have pulled us apart culturally have also at the same time increased our, uh, our emotional 
understanding of what it means to be human to include more and more people, to include now abstractly for, for more people than ever, humanity as a whole. And that is going to be the necessary, that process is going to have to, and I think will uh, continue and, and, in, and to intensify. And the intensification of that process will bring about a, a yes, a change in consciousness that, that deprivileges the individual acquis acquisitive self and, and, put, and reframes our understanding of what the good life is, of what virtue is around uh, a more uh, socialized self that seeks to, uh, to raise up those around them as part of a project of, of uh, spiritual reckoning. So, okay. Full warning, this is another disguised pitch for Christianity. Christianity. Um, <laughs> but I, I still wrestle with it because Cyrus is using a good example, I think, of like us coming out of the feudal system. And this is one that's caused a lot of you know, questions that we've gotten online or whatever else about, hey, so when you were a feudal serf working for the vassal, uh, your conception of your place in the world was very limited. And you know, over the, the preceding or the following hundred years or so, you had things like political rights and people's consciousnesses were expanded. I mean, uh, to where we are at now, call it, you know, a thousand years or whatever. And we care about the environment where they may not have done so as much. So we've had a, a consciousness expanding as we've become more social. Um, and he uses that as an example, Cyrus, you know, I don't want to put words. I am in your mouth to say that, you know, so, so just like that. So we need to uh, graduate out of just pure self-interest my beef with that is like, can that happen? I don't believe it can happen apart from an individual like divine connection, just because even Jesus is saying like out of men's hearts comes all these things like greed, evil, lust, you know, the, the divisions in society. I mean, it, it's going to, for some people, uh, for sure. I, I, it's going, it's going to be a process of people coming to the, end of their rope and then having to answer, ask what's next. And the answers they're gonna come up with are going to vary depending on where and when they, where they are, who they are, uh, what their life experiences are, what, what, has, what makes sense to them, what, what story they've been telling themselves about the world, because there's only so much we can really change about how we understand the world uh, without you know, totally leaving us unmoored. Uh, it has to be uh, accreting on top of that. And, uh, and so, yeah, a lot of people will be uh, finding uh, this through a uh, understanding of Christ, but I guess I don't know, I guess I don't know what the has to do with me, frankly. Well, so like to, to, to my uh, thought process in, in general, like this, your, your uh, assertion that like people are always going to be self-interested just because that may be true, may not be true. I, I'm no master of, a, of human understanding, but like, even if it is true, um, it's, it still doesn't take away from the fact that people just wrongly understand what their self-interest is right now. Um, that their self-interest, you know, is in, in those cliches, which are cliches for a reason, like a rising tide lifts all ships. Um, you know, that all of your neighbors having good health care and, and, being cared for by the society and being considered a part of the community and being inculcated into the community is also good for you and much better for you than 
the hedonic treadmill that I think you fall into if you don't or you know that you, you stay on if you don't ever recognize that uh you know that, that, that or if you don't ever redefine self-interest for yourself yeah and i feel that people will redefine it and the process is going to uh be varied and i think that it's a lot of it is going to be christianity and, and i i think you're already seeing like especially like a lot of younger evangelicals sort of realizing that that evangelicalism as they have been taught it is incompatible with what they feel in their heart uh, uh, Christianity means. And I think that's going to be one part of a, a part of a, a tributary in a, in a, in a, in a raging uh, river of, of consciousness shifting as our, uh, as the insufficiency of our self-interest becomes more and more apparent. If you, missed life sciences in middle school tributary is a stream that feeds into a river so um i had to do a mental check of matt's vocabulary there i've missed a couple <laughs> words that you've used before so far but i'm helping other folks that are on my iq level um uh, well matt before we uh let you go um you know this podcast even though we're pretty young into it we've already had you know not that, like you said, I don't expect to change anyone's mind in particular with, with what I say. But you but have been. I mean, you've been, I mean, even just family and friends, you know what I mean? That's, it's kind of a trip. But, but that's the idea is making them more open to things like this and, and starting an, a good faith dialogue, which I think is definitely part of this building of bridges between people. You know, I don't want to call out um, our producer, but uh, his, his dad sent him a letter. Uh, at, do you want to chime in here real quick, Alex? Yeah. Yeah. My dad, after listening to this show, my dad, a conservative Christian himself, uh, visited the DSA website and went to their platform and sent me a, a list of questions by mail that, uh, that he thought I might be able to help him understand better. So on some level, we, we are getting people to be open to more things. But, but beyond that, um, how do you, do you have any practical advice for socialists out there about how they can build bridges to communities that they're just completely uncomfortable with? Uh, I mean, I think it starts with uh, stripping your ego as much as possible and, and, uh, and doing a real inventory check on what, what the, in, in any given interaction you have with somebody, what the actual most important thing is, what the real thing you're trying to communicate is, and how much of it is related to your uh, maintaining like a self-perception and, and presenting yourself in a certain way. Uh, and I think that if, if there is this, if we do humble ourselves a little bit, we can find a lot more uh, uh, common ground than we would assume. And, and the thing about that and the, and the reason that you need to have some sort of religious or spiritual sense motivating you is that there's no way you know that that uh, humbling will be uh, re reciprocated by the person you're dealing with. Uh, they, might, they might very well uh, not engage at the level that you want them to or that you're willing to. And you have to be willing to accept that that's going to happen uh, and that it is, yes, your effort that matters. And, and, if, and if you think that, uh, it'll, I think your encounters will be easier than, than you're worried they will be. And, yeah, I, uh, the other day at work, I was, I'm a server, and I was forced to try and defend the International Socialist Project to one of my tables. It definitely <laughs> affected my tip. Um, <laughs> but, 
but you know there was an inkling there i feel like of of you know they were just most people i feel like have never talked to a genuine socialist you know in in actual daily life and that's as much on us as it is on them yeah that's certainly true of a lot of folks that um Yes, that, that, that Cyrus has encountered on sort of the folks that I've brought and their friends and things to the podcast. Um, Matt, before we let you go, I certainly have been learning more about my conscience and it will bother the hell out of me if I don't clarify something. Because you had asked something when I, when I was just giving a disguised pitch for Jesus, you had asked like, well, what does it have to do with me? I have a particular heart for people, I think like socialists, who genuinely want to love people and therefore for whatever reason, um, there's that. So I just believe, and I think genuine Christians ought to, that we have a sin problem, a, a huge affront before God, and even good people may not make it into heaven. And that's what trips me out is a lot of Jesus's parables were on people who were healing people and good people that, that, that thought they knew Jesus, but he did not know them. And they were not in the welcomed into the kingdom of heaven at, at, the, at whatever it is at, beyond this. And so that's why I, I'm, you know, I, I pray for, um, for Cyrus, for Alex, for even you, man, just because, you know what, I want everyone to, uh, to love God and feel the love of God. So I mean, I'm going to heaven. Don't worry about it. I'm pretty confident. <laughs> Very last thing, Matt. Um, we, the only thing we really plug on the show besides our uh, guest projects is uh, jam. Our mom does uh, homemade jams from the fruit trees we grow in our backyard. Um, started a little, little business one person business with it. So uh, we would like, we like to send it to our guests. We have a couple different options. We have some pear butter with huckleberries and vanilla, raspberry hibiscus, a pineapple serrano pepper jam. There's also uh, some that you can like put in a blender and make a cocktail. So we'd love to send you a few jams. Any, any Ooh, flavors delightful. or flavor profiles that you yeah. prefer? Are you sweet, savory, spicy? Where do you fall? Are you a berry or more like a different kind of fruit guy? This is, this is good trivia. I, I like the berries that that raspberry hibiscus uh, that piqued my interest. It brings out the raspberry uh, remarkably. Uh, yeah. Alex just got a sample. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll give All you right, the beautiful. Well, in a mystery box. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for coming on, Matt. We uh, really appreciate it. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, be able to continue these spiritual conversations in the future uh, with each other. Absolutely. And with you. So you have a great, you. Uh, you have a great one, man. Thanks for coming. You too. Matt, before you hang up, thank you again for not just the show, but you know what? All the stuff in the family, man. I, God bless you. Well, thank you very much. This is a great uh, talk. Uh, great to hear from you guys. Right on. Watch the mail the next week or two. Um, jam on its way. <laughs> oh, excited. Thank you. <laughs> right. All, right. All, right. All right. So big discussion, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, you know, kind of all over the place in some ways, but I think we covered a lot of good ground. Uh, Chase, I know how into enumeration you are. Uh, so I, my guess is you have some points prepared uh, for, uh, you know, observations you made during the episode. Is that, is that true? My suspicion's correct. Yeah. Five. Let's get into it. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's start yeah. with number one. Yeah, and so prefacing with a, a lot of respect and appreciation for Matt and uh, folks who are as intent and passionate and dedicated as he is. Um, I First point, I thought that really stood out from our conversation was we need to integrate or reintegrate spirituality and sort of tap into the spiritual motor that pushes people beyond their selfishness into politics. Said shortly, 
We need spiritualism in politics to go beyond self-interest. You agree? Yeah, I think that was that was one of the main things that kind of like stuck out to me in my early watching of, of his work was this that idea. And we covered this a little bit in the interview, so I don't want to, I don't want to uh, beat a dead horse, but that, that just that idea that when push comes to shove and like real sacrifices are needed for you for the things you supposedly you know are committed to or the politics you're committed to, if you don't have that spiritual grounding. I feel like it's a lot harder to convince yourself, motivate yourself to make those sacrifices. And uh, to break this point into two pieces, uh, I, Matt I, is defining spiritualism as that connection with our neighbors and brothers and sisters, uh, other, you know, human solidarity globally. I think, though, it is certainly worth considering the spiritual connection vertically between the individual or the group and God and the deity that created us or whatever. And, um, and so that there's, there's a huge piece of that missing. And I think that leads into the second breakdown of this point is that if it's that big, then we maybe need to be more careful about using spiritualism to push the political motor. Certainly Matt has good intentions with it, but that's been used in other places poorly. And it's almost like a little cart before the horse Maybe we really dive into and focus on the spiritual truth if there's truth to be discerned and then, okay, what politics come out of that? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think that does. I'm, I would push back a little bit on the idea that there is no vertical um, because I think sort of the premise of what he was talking about and sort of how I look at it is like the, the horizontal is this realization of the connection to other people, you know, that is, as part of the divine but there is still a vertical it's it's the whole it's the universe it's the body um you know which obviously i mean that's fairly abstract and i know for some people that's like well that's not like a intelligent thing you can relate to um but we don't know that and i would i would argue that it probably is in some ways i'll skip down to my fifth point um to say that yeah he had said at the end there that he doesn't really believe in a reality beyond the universe and can understand that because we can't measure scientifically anything really beyond the universe. However, you know, he'd said he'd had this experience. And I don't want to judge his experience, uh, but ultimately we're getting down to the very least coin flippy type logic, which is, well, was all of this universe and matter here forever? Or did it spontaneously create itself out of nothing? Or is it more logical to say that like, Something, something created it outside of time and matter. And I think that's pretty hard to believe too. I'm just saying that like being open to the possibility of something being real and true beyond what we can see and sense with our, with our capacities is, is worthwhile and, and, and valid. And I think that's sort of what you've been somewhat teetering with um, the last couple months, much less, you know, the last couple of years is, what out there is spiritual is true and worthwhile. Yeah. I mean, I think I would, I would agree with that and probably I would take that point of disagreement that you have with Matt on that, on that and, and say that I, I would say I also disagree to, to, to an extent. Um, now that said, I think there's the coin flip of, you know, well, was there always just this uh, infinitely dense point of light or whatever that they said the big bang sprang from, or was there a God outside of time and space that created it? 
I mean, if, if the second part is true, if the latter is true, then my take on it is that's so incomprehensible to fully grasp that it's probably fairly unlikely that any one group of humans got it like totally right or even like that close to correct. Uh, So, I mean, yeah, that, that's just, no, but I, 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 and on terms of the idea that like the potential for seeing things or experiencing things beyond, you know, what we would consider the natural world. uh, Yeah. I don't rule that out. I definitely don't rule that out. And I would agree with you for the Godhead, the infinitely dense point of light, like I'm memorizing some uh, Timothy right now. He basically says, Paul talking to Timothy, like he is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of King, the Lord of Lords dwelling in unapproachable light. No one has seen or can see um, to him be, you know, honor and eternal glory. Amen. Yeah. Now, but we have this other thing, which is, and this gets into our next point a bit, the most pivotal character in human history, Jesus, who claimed to be that God in human form. And this is where I think uh, we have the biggest leverage point with Christians here is that not only should we seek to fill ourselves with Jesus, but to emulate him. And by that, like pursuing godliness, being like God, being like Jesus. And And that point in particular has really been moving me away from like, hey, you know, the the idea that we can pursue politics and policy platforms that are friendly to Christians and a Judeo-Christian society at the expense of how we do it. And Hmm. if I can't pursue something like Jesus, then you know what? Jesus gave himself up to be sacrificed. So... I guess what I'm saying is to, to that point of like, you know, it's, it's beyond knowing this, this is spiritual truth. Scripture says Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form. And so to my next point, Matt says to bring up Jesus, though, would alienate uh, a lot of secularists um, because of how they've been brought up and how they, you know, because they've seen Christians react to things. And he has a great quote, which I think was like, man, stinging and accurate, probably. Um, to paraphrase, people who have grown up thinking themselves Christian, well, it's perceived from the outside as a cult of indulgence, consumption, indulgence, consumption, and ego. And the stars and stripes wrapped around it. And dang, that's a really good critique. Um, And so, and so it's, I I can see this tendency to like to throw the baby out with the bathwater, Jesus. Uh, We can't use him. He's prepackaged. But, and I, please cut in after this, this set of statements. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I'm just, it, I'm yeah, is, is that Jesus, so Matt doesn't want to touch Jesus because he's been too, he's got too much baggage. Well, what if that baggage still contains the truth and humans have window dressed him to be, uh, you know, in a religion of indulgence, consumption, and ego? And two, Jesus has been recaptured before. And I don't mean like esoterically or as a concept. I mean, one of the things that you've mentioned as a key to human evolution in our consciousness um, is, is sort of the feudal period and coming out of that. Well, the Protestant Reformation was, played a significant role in that, where we reclaimed a more accurate, more personal description in relationship with Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? And so I think Jesus is your stick of dynamite. Right. He always has been and always will be. He was before the universe and he will be after. And I, I think that's why it's like. There's a lot to be had and, and a lot of runway with, with Jesus and how 
we also share Jesus with Christians and share Jesus with folks that aren't Christian? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's definitely worthwhile to bring up. I would say in response, I'll kind of start backwards and go with your, your point about uh, Protestantism and that being, you know, a major step in the elevation of human consciousness, which I, I would argue it definitely was um, and necessary for the flourishment of capitalism to exist to, because that changing of human relations from just a total, you know, vertical relationship to a more horizontal one of people of equal rights and that sort of thing. Um, now, that being said, I think that tells you, you know, in just a not not very much time, even that project was corrupted uh, by capitalism, um, because even most immediately after that period, you know, uh, like in the 16 and 1700s during the development of capitalism, that was when it was at its most brutal and most contradictory, I would say, with with Christianity. Um but I don't think that takes away from the fact. Okay. So then to take your first point and say like, okay, let's say that Christ, the, the message of Christianity is, is true. Capital T true. Um, and that there's just all this other baggage around it. Well, well, if go ahead, just to baggage and make sure we define the baggage. Like, yeah, yeah. like I would define religion, not necessarily biblically because James defines religion there but how we conceive of religion as to be the human rules and customs around what is spiritual and, yeah, and, okay, and yeah. the, you know, and the baggage being like historical, you know, sins, that sort of thing. Yeah. Starting from, you know, colonialist missionaries yeah. to yeah, yeah, slavery, the whole thing. being against gay marriage now, you know, like that, that's sort of the secular's perspective of the Christian history. Yeah. Um, and, Okay, so let's say that Jesus is capital T true. I think that even more so hammers home the point, though, that capitalism is actually contradictory in its values to to Christianity and will always do everything it can or always ends up doing everything it can to pull Christians away from Jesus's true message. I, Um, I, I will parry not by defending the blessedness or righteousness of capitalism, because I think it's a system. Anything sure. in itself, I don't know if it's, is, is inherently moral or immoral, right? Or any, uh, because one of the things that Jesus was told and tried to be tricked into when he had the Herodians, basically the political party, and the Pharisees, the religious party, who were yeah. at odds with each other questioning him, well, is it, is it lawful to give taxes to Caesar? So it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. And this coin, the denarius coin, the quick aside is, it basically called Caesar Pontifus Maximus, which was high priest. And on the other side, Augustus, son of the Augustan, like son of God. So literally Jesus's titles, son of God, high priest. So not more of a heretical coin could have been made. Sure. And he says, we'll give to Caesar what is Caesar and God was God's. I think what shows is like Christ's kingdom is not of this world. And it's it's in human hearts. So I would say like, well, um, I would argue, I could point out the places in socialism or totalitarianism that would certainly lead us away from tendencies of Christ-likeness. Does that make sense? I, I do. Uh, and, and, you know, this could be just a naive point of mine, but I think it's something I want to reiterate from the conversation we had with Matt, which is at the end of the day, capitalism is a system that requires and incentivizes selfishness. And at least the socialism I believe in and the one I purport and, and want to, to uh, see flourish is one in which it's a system that incentivizes cooperation um, and, and unselfishness. 
because I think at the end of the day, that is in some ways the most selfish thing you can have or the most self-interested thing you can have well, is to live in a society where everyone's taken care of mm. and everyone's needs are met. Um, well, I will say if we don't humble and enlighten our current form of capitalism, we will probably get what you're seeking, a secular socialism. Yeah, I would say we'll either get that or we will devolve back into a sort of feudal period of techno overlords that, uh, you know, mostly dictate um, the quality of our life, which I think is is what is happening right now if we don't do something about it. That said, any more points from you? Yeah, we covered uh, three points in there. So I'll say the last one, uh, something practical was two pronged, you know, avoid echo chambers uh, to the point where it's, if all you're doing is echo chambering, well, then you're, you're participating in this market that is incentivized to confirm and not to, to challenge. I think that's almost Matt's words right there. And I like that. Um, I think this for us is that, right? Um, I feel like I disagree with everybody and that's probably not a bad place to be. I do want to make progress, right? And, yeah. and, and, and make these ideas more accessible and, and more widespread and get more people frustrated with the current environment and frustrated with both news outlets that are basically you know throwing red meat to their bases and so we avoid echo chambers and the second point of this last consideration is uh, go local you know what uh, proud of samantha she made dinner for a lady of uh, ladies uh, for a family whose lady's daughter broke her leg just down the street right well they're moving doesn't really matter like we're we have them within our you know circle of influence let's love them and and we're and i'd say we do that not to just just because it makes us feel good because we know we should well because like we know I, I believe that in a sense it's like we're worshiping god by doing that right i'm being grateful to god who gives me life who who has forgiven and loved me if when i forgive and love others you know yeah can you can you remind me real quick because i don't want to get the phrasing wrong of jesus's main commandments yeah certainly so uh, i think matthew 22 is something like teacher what is the greatest commandment Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like the first. Love, love your neighbor as yourself. However, in John 15, I think he ups the game a little bit and says and commands his disciples to love um, as I have loved you. And that's where you get the greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. And so those, I think, while the prophets or excuse me, or the apostles reiterate the first two and Jesus is one to Christians is that last one. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's, that's fairly clear to me in, in our reorientation towards the local and towards the communal, you know, one thing you said in the intro that I think, or at least really rings true to me now is, you know, that idea that we didn't really grow up in a community all the time, sort of towards the end, more so, more so me than you, I guess. But, you know, these echo chambers that we're a part of, like, I never really have any choice but to be a part of an echo chamber uh, or have not because or but an opposite one to one of the things I believe, like, you know, I grew up in a conservative uh, house and a conservative community, went to a military academy that has a largely conservative bent, was then in the army. Um, So. I, by my very nature of my life, have sort of been forced to interact with people who believe things that are really different than me. And 
you by extension, uh, by having me as a family member, have had to do that as well. Sure. Uh, and I think that that, you know, so when people ask me, you know, how do you and your brother have conversations that are so like calm about these topics? And at, at some level, it's because we're forced to, um, or we've been, become forced to. Uh, one thing in re-listening to our conversation a few times, Matt, to love people is to give them a bit of an element of faith, right? Either faith in God. Like I said, I, I, we do these things small or big because we worship God and we have faith in that. Well, yeah. you know, you might give, if in my belief, just sort of like Joel said, and there are Christians who disagree with me and I would disagree with them. If the Holy Spirit tells you to give the money in your pocket to someone on the side of the road, uh, you need to. And even if you, it's, there's a strong propensity to use it for drugs, well, you're following your command, right? You can't control yeah. others. And so you're giving that in good faith to, that you, all right, I'm faithfully obeying God and I'm faithfully maybe helping if, and so on. So I think that that's one thing Matt had said, I'm still chewing on. We got to extend faith to people, right? And, um, and it's almost that sort of thing, like where, where Jesus was loving people. So it's like, he says, you did not choose me. I chose you is what he said. Right. In same John yeah. 15, which means you did not choose to give me a dinner. Like I'm choosing to give this to you or I'm choosing to like help you move. You see what I'm saying? Um, or Absolutely. I'm choosing to get on the phone with you at 11 o'clock, even though, cause like, I know you probably need it, but I really want to go to sleep. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, no, like progress or to achieve the things we want to see achieve will require like sacrifice out of people. And even on the just the barely smallest level, like you're talking about, like extending faith to someone, it can just be extending like uh, the amount of faith it takes to like take them at their word when they're trying to talk to you about something or to not assume the worst about them when you find out they believe something you disagree with or, or what, what have you. And that is how, you know, you, you sort of Matt also talks about like the capitalism bringing us into like a global community in ways that didn't exist before. Certainly. Um, and the way that you tie that global community into something that is resembles an actual community isn't just an amalgamation of, of people that happen to live in the same area or happen to believe the same things or whatever is through the sacrifices is through that extension of faith to, to people who might be unfamiliar to you or even people who are familiar to you. Yeah. Maybe to bookend this faith bonus point here. I know you've been struggling with the idea of faith, not just in, you know, capital T truth in Jesus, but also the faith to pursue the cause you believe in so much. Right. And I was really have been cranking around first Corinthians 13, which is like the infant or the famous love chapter, like, you know, love is patient, love is kind. Well, at the end of that, um, he's basically saying, or throughout the chapter, he's also saying like languages, knowledge, and prophecies will pass away like at the end of the world. And when, you know, when it's all is complete, but here's what he says remains. And these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I don't know why or how right now faith and hope remain. Faith seems to be something of like that we don't quite have yet, or that we're doing it for a reason that we believe in, right? Being sure of what we hope for and certain what we do not see. So I just want to maybe commend you in that sense of Faith, hope, and love are very, very powerful things that will not pass away, where knowledge and languages will. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, no, definitely. I think that's that's a powerful statement and and very true, um, and something that we're all lacking in a lot of ways. Uh, some more than others, depending on, on where you're at. But 
and they're all very connected and, and you know kind of tie it back to matt's the whole conversation we had with matt is this idea that like when you when you lose any connection to a faith then the others i think tend to pass away with it and it's not necessarily a faith in any individual belief system but a faith that things a faith in humanity a faith in yourself a faith in uh the the idea that if you do good things um it will make the world better and make yourself better as well um uh, you know i think that postmodern thought has and it's understandably so i think but it has destroyed a lot of that in in humans um and i sort of understand why it did and why they thought that what they were talking about was was true um but i think it was maybe a step backwards or a misguided step forwards or yeah, step in the wrong direction yeah um, well to that point and i know we're, we're dragging here but it's it's sort of this principle right that is like what is it harder to do of character what is it harder morally to do might be the actual right answer and the, the true answer like is it easier to be passive in a situation of bullying or is it harder to stand up or, or I frame that, you know, conveniently, but it's the second is harder. Just like self-discipline is harder than self-indulgence. Self-discipline is better. Doesn't mean, you know, you, you become a tyrant with that. Well, in this sense, though, if we really believe that self-discipline is better than self-indulgence and we really believe intervention is better than passivity when someone is being oppressed, then that principle may hold still true with faith and not faith. Right. It is it is better as it is right and true and better capital B than not having faith. And, you know, put that in our rucksack here as we move on, because I think you're you're right. There's a certain um, it, easy to be critical of those who have faith. That's tough to explain. But at the same time, like man, faith, hope and love are, are the three things that remain, says Paul. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think it's oftentimes like quite hard to um to have faith in in something because like you said it requires you to sacrifice something if you truly have faith it requires sacrifice and action when that faith comes up against something that, that counterposes it and the, the funny thing is though with all of that like whether it's you know sticking up for someone who's you know receiving racist remarks in a grocery store or whatever like the reason people don't do it i think is because there's they're afraid of what they could lose um, you know, be it standing in the community or, you know, whatever else. Physical or even safety, lose, whatever. Yeah. Embarrassment. Lose time. Yep. Yeah, exactly. But at the end of the day, those types of things and those types of decisions, those hard decisions, if you end up going with the hard side, it will actually not only improve your life, but improve the life of people around you. And my last selling point is for anyone that's interested in, uh, you know, not just doing the window dressings of, uh, of Samantha, you know, grew up Jewish mitzvahs, good deeds. Uh, if you really want your core, your thermonuclear center replaced and changed, uh, Jesus is in the business of doing that. And so, uh, and so hey, all, the reasons, Marks, but... all the more reason that, you know what, Cyrus, I know you're a skeptic on it, but we can start moving through maybe some of the gospels. We'll throw in the communist manifesto in there, maybe in between one or two of the gospels as a, uh, as a book, as, as a bookmark. How, how does that sound? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll get some uh we'll get some good alternative content in there. Don't you worry. Um, but 
that said, I mean, there's a million things we could talk about from our conversation with Matt. Um, but I think that'll, uh, just about do it more or less, uh, unless there's anything else you have to add. Um, thanks for, uh, participating and talking the good faith with him. I think it was a, a really good conversation. Yeah. Hopefully he likes the raspberry hibiscus. So I'm, I, I'm interested yeah. to know. Hopefully he does. We will, uh, we'll have to inquire, but right, otherwise anything else, Chase? No, dude, I love you. And I appreciate you being open to this. I feel like I've changed a lot of and, and, and changing a lot of my political views in exchange. And I'm not doing it transactionally, but in my open mindedness, I am in exchange for your open mindedness. Um, hoping that not just you, but other people, whether they be politically or spiritually or relationally with people, because we're talking love, forgiveness, these big things, you know, like, yeah, I'm having faith in you that you do the same thing. Um, in your, whatever that means for you at that, at, you know, where you're at, you know what I mean? Right. You know, it's funny. It really comes back to, I think we maybe mentioned the, the, the story of the time that you made me listen to like Plato's Republic in the car on a long road trip when I was young. Um, and that being sort of one of my first memories of us, you know, having a lot of these philosophical types of conversations. Um, but the thing that really sticks out to me from that conversation and that period of discussion was, like this idea of sophistry and sophistry being mm. a, a moral, it's a moral evil in a lot of ways. This idea of not, uh, for those who don't know, sophistry is essentially like debating, but without any intention of trying to learn anything from the debate, but rather to just defeat your opponent. Um, and I hope that's not what we're doing here. And I don't, I think it's, we, we strive to do the opposite and to keep that open mind. Um, and I hope other people who listen, uh, do too. So real quick, I just want to make sure I do, do Matt, right. Uh, you can find his podcast, Chapo Trap House, anywhere you listen, you can find uh, time for my stories, the TV criticism podcast on Stitcher premium, and you can find any of the Kush vlogs on YouTube or Twitch, uh, Chapo Trap House's channel. So, and he's a uh, Kush bomb on Twitter. So, uh, all that said, have a good one, man. Love you, dude. Love you, too. He acts, he dies, but principles are eternal. And this has been a contest over a principle. In this contest, brother has been arrayed against brother, father against son. It is for these that we speak. We do not come as aggressors. Our war is not a war of conquest. We are fighting in defense of our homes, our families, This has been Cross of Gold. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank Sant Invictus for producing our intro and outro songs and uh, look forward to seeing you next time.